accompanied this morning by uh, the call to worship, the prayers, the confessions, even uh, particularly this morning, the music. Well, I'm going to pray that you really listen hard to the sermon. Because we can rejoice in everything that we've already talked about this morning. And it's, it's good to be here among God's people in the presence of the Lord. It's particularly good because this morning we, we are starting a new series on the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about the coming kingdom this morning. We're going to talk about the, the nature of the kingdom in the weeks to come. And after we speak about the nature of the kingdom, we're, we're going to talk about what it means to live life in the kingdom of God, and then we'll probably have a sermon or two on the consummation of the kingdom. This morning, we're going to talk about the king who brings in the kingdom. If you are a believer, he is your king, and you're living in the midst of that kingdom even now. Next week, Rob's going to preach on the already and the not yet of the kingdom. And then the following week, Matt, uh, Matt's going to talk about the hiddenness of the kingdom. This morning, we're going to talk about how the kingdom comes. A little bit about what this kingdom is all about. And we're going to look at it through the baptism of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. In the most important sense, God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of extravagant love. And that's what we've, we've already confessed and prayed this morning that, that, and sung about. That God loves us in an amazing way. And this, this grace, God's grace is seen, beginning with the baptism of Jesus, particularly this morning, it's seen and experienced in a new and powerful way. It's seen in the person of Jesus Christ. It's empowered by God's grace through the, the Holy Spirit. And, and, and lastly, we're going to look at this declaration of God's grace about God's kingdom as we hear the Father speaking about the Son. One of the most important things that, that I, I do want to emphasize, even, even from the very outset here this morning, is that God's kingdom of grace, and I'm going to say this often, God's kingdom of grace is directly related to this idea that Jesus comes, the person of Christ, He comes as a human being. He takes on flesh. Yes, He's fully God. He's fully divine. But the person of Christ is also fully human, just like you and me. And here's the point in, in, in the importance of the humanity of Christ. The kingdom of God is really, really abstract. If you don't think about who it is that brings in the kingdom. If you don't think about the king, our king. The kingdom of God only gets concrete, only gets tangible when you think about the Word becoming flesh. So, so to begin with, I, I want to ask you a couple questions to see, see where you are. And these are rhetorical questions you don't have to answer. When you think of Jesus' miracles, when you think about the blind seeing, lepers cleansed, the lame walking, even, even Jesus raising people from the dead... Do you say, of course he does that because he's God? Is that what you think? Because what does that say about Moses? 
What does that say about Elijah and Elisha and even in the New Testament, Peter and Paul? Because they did miracles just like Jesus. And they weren't God. What about this? If you're a Christian here this morning, you, you know that Jesus Christ always, always obeyed His heavenly Father. He never sinned. Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. He was tempted in every respect, just like us, yeah, yet without sin. Do you read that? Do you think about that? And you say, of course Jesus didn't sin because He was God. We read that and say, well, I know Jesus didn't sin, but, but God doesn't expect us to obey like Jesus did. It's not right. He expects you to obey. See, when you see the kingdom of God brought in by the God who becomes man, when, when you see this kingdom brought in by a king who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the way, the same Holy Spirit that's given to us, when you see God's declaration of peace and grace, that's when the kingdom of God becomes real. It's when it becomes concrete. It's, that's when what we believe becomes powerful for our lives. It, it makes what we believe helpful to us, not only as individuals, but as a congregation. And it gives us something to share with other people. And I think it also is what it means when God says this brings glory to Himself. And I hope we catch a glimpse this morning of this concrete kingdom that we live in brought about by a real God who takes on flesh, who's empowered by the Spirit, all about God's grace. Hope we see it even in our passage this morning. It's Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read that now. If you have your bulletins or your Bibles, you can open that up and read along with me. It's a very familiar verse to some of you, I'm sure. And I hope we can bring out some new things this morning. Let me read this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. This is God's Word. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John the Baptist, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice this morning that Jesus Christ has come. He's come to save us from our sins. He's come to give us new life. And I pray that even now you would work through your Word and your Spirit to help us better understand what this passage means, to help us better live out the meaning of this passage in our, in our own lives, in our families, in our workplace, in the world. I pray that your grace would pour out as we look to Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
All right, I have a three-point message for you. I, I've caught some flack in the recent months about how I don't have three-point passages or three-point sermons. This morning, I have a three-point sermon for you. Talk about the message of the kingdom brought about by the king, who is the son of God, Jesus Christ. The message of the kingdom, number one. Number two, we're going to talk about the power of the kingdom. Spiritual power given to us by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we're going to talk about the grace of this kingdom that we are now a part of. If you believe in the Son of God, this grace seen in the declaration of God the Father about the Son and His work. So first, the message of the kingdom. It's all about the Son. Jesus comes to John in order to be baptized. Realize that people have for some time... Um, they, they've been, been baptized, been coming for baptism for, for a long time. And even now, they've been coming for some time to John the baptism. And it's a baptism of repentance. Matthew says people were coming to John in order to confess their sins. And John the Baptist, knowing enough about who Jesus is, he, he rightly tries to say, no, I, I, I shouldn't baptize you. He says, why do you come to me? I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. You see, John the Baptist has a pretty good idea about who Jesus is. His parents were Zechariah and Elizabeth. They knew about the Messiah to come. They'd heard the prophecies. They'd heard about the miraculous birth. They all knew that Jesus Christ was special. Even John the Baptist, the Gospel of John, talking about Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He He knew enough about the Messiah to know that he shouldn't be baptizing Jesus. Not administering a baptism of repentance to Jesus because Jesus doesn't need to repent. Jesus says, let it be so now. For it is fitting or it is right in this way to fulfill all righteousness. John says, no, I don't need to be baptizing you. Jesus says, yes, for it is right in order to fulfill the righteousness of God. What does that mean? I think it means a lot of things, but we're going to talk about two this morning. The first thing, the reason why Jesus says it is right or it is fitting, Jesus is validating the ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus is saying, John... What you're saying and what you're doing is right. The content of what John has been preaching goes something like this. John has been preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn near. I am baptizing, John says, I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, speaking of Jesus, he is mightier than me, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist has been preaching and administering a baptism because he knows the king is coming and he's bringing in the kingdom. And what Jesus is saying here when he says, let's do this, it is right, it is fitting, what Jesus is saying is, John, part of the reason that I'm here, even now, even to be baptized, is to make sure that the people know that what you're saying and what you're doing is right. God's rule is about to come in a new and powerful way. Why? Because the Son of God has taken on flesh 
and he's dwelling among them. Jesus himself says, John, you need to administer a baptism of repentance to me, even though I don't need to repent, because I need the people to know that what you're saying is right. And don't miss the sense of urgency here. Jesus is saying, John, let's do this. Let's do this now. And that's why I'm here. That's the first reason. But there's another reason. It's a very important reason. Jesus comes to John to be baptized. He not only submits to baptism, but he insists on being baptized by John. Not because he has any sin to confess. Not because he is in need of repentance, but he comes to John in order to be uh, baptized by him so that he can identify in the closest possible way up to this time with the sinners who he's come to save. Do you hear that? Jesus says, yes, I must be baptized. And I must receive A baptism of repentance. Because I have to be so closely associated with the people that I've come to save that they will know that God the Father loves them. See, Jesus doesn't come to be baptized by John to confess his sins or to repent. But by participating in this event, Jesus is being obedient to all that God requires for the salvation of mankind. And as he begins his his public office in front of the world as Savior of mankind, he identifies with the people that he's going to save in the closest possible way. And this real person is bringing in a real kingdom. And I need you to sit and I need you to think about that for a minute. Because in the history of religion, in the history of the world, gods don't do this. Gods in in Greek and Roman times, they came close to humans to play with them, to manipulate them, to have fun with them. And in other religions of the day, even now, gods gods don't come close to people except to tell them, this is what you need to do if you're going to live. And in Christianity here, with Jesus coming to earth to be baptized, he is saying, I love you, my people, so much that I will become one of them. It's a reference to Isaiah 53 where the prophet writes this, Out of the anguish of his soul, this is God the Father, Out of the anguish of his soul, he will see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall a righteous one, my servant Jesus, he will come and he will make many be accounted righteous and he will bear their iniquities. You know what the baptism of Jesus is all about? The baptism of Jesus is pointing to the climactic event of Jesus' life, which is his atoning sacrifice for believers for people like you and me. Baptism is closely associated with death. And Jesus is coming to be baptized because he knows that he's going to have to die for the people that he's come to save. You see, Jesus' work on our behalf will never be fulfilled unless he becomes one with those he comes to rescue. 
There's an old church father who says, what Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. Meaning, if he doesn't become fully man, we have no hope of salvation. This is God with us. Remember when Paul says in Philippians 2, Jesus, though he was God, or in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself, and what does Paul say? He humbled himself and became obedient to death. You know what you could say here? Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even unto baptism. Jesus comes to be identified with us, to rescue us, and he takes the symbol of death for us, pointing us to the fact that he will die for us so that all the righteousness of God will be fulfilled. I know that we hear this often, and we talk about Jesus Christ here often, but do you realize that Jesus Christ comes here in Matthew chapter 3. He not only comes, but He comes as a man. And He does everything that we cannot do so that we can have all that we do not deserve. And this is the message of the kingdom, which is a message of grace, and it's seen in a real person. You see, we have this idea, and and we talk about grace a lot, and we, we think it's some kind of thing or some kind of substance or some kind of idea. But do you realize God's grace is only understood In Christ Jesus. In fact, you could say it like this. God's grace is Jesus. That's the God who loves us and saves us. And He cares for us so much that He's going to identify with you and me in the closest possible way, still remaining God, but fully human. Do you see why? Do you see why we talk about repentance? Even Michael Hall came up here and uh, before the confession of sin, and we said the life of the believer is all about repentance. It's trying to figure out a good way to illustrate what it means when you meet the King and you understand what the King has has done and, and how that should issue forth in a life of repentance. There was a day, and it's really hard for some of you young, young people to understand this. But when you met somebody of, of great importance, or or you did something that was really unique, you, you'd you'd get all dressed up. You'd, you'd, you'd do everything you can to present the, the best person that you could present. You, you know what I mean? You, you don't even know this, but, but there was a day when you'd fly on an airplane and you'd actually get dressed up because it was such a unique event. Some of you remember that? Right? I, I remember we, we were meeting a, a person of a political party, and, and we didn't necessarily like the political party, but it was an opportunity to, to, to meet a, a person of great stature and power. And we didn't even like him, but, but we wanted to be nice to him. Right? I know that doesn't happen now, and I understand, but, but the point remains that there was a time when you'd meet somebody important and, and you'd put on your best self. You, you'd want to, it was a big deal. If we really believed, I mean, deep, deep, deep down, that God loves us so much that he, He becomes a man, and he walks on this earth, and he experienced everything that we experienced, even even in in more painful ways than we will ever, so that we could have a relationship with God. You know what we do all the time? We'd bow down, and we'd say, oh, I don't deserve this. How great is your love? Ah, let me repent, and let me serve you, because you are so good to me. 
You know you're living in the kingdom when you're even repenting of your repentance. Because you know it's not good enough for the God who loves you. And yet he still loves you. A king has come. The most practical thing in the world that you need to hear is God has become man. He's taken on flesh. He was baptized for you, pointing to his death so that we wouldn't have to ultimately die, so that we could have eternal life. The kingdom's about the king. Second point, uh, this king, Jesus, he also comes with power. Jesus consents. He is baptized. Verse 16 tells us what happens. Heaven is opened He saw the Spirit of God coming down as a dove and resting upon him. And don't miss the fact that the heavens are opened. The barrier between this world and the the residence of God is set aside and something new is happening. While this kingdom has been talked about before all throughout the Old Testament, the kingdom of God is now coming in a new and powerful way because the heavens are opened and the Spirit of God in the form of a dove comes down, which is an emblem of, of power and gentleness all in one, and He rests on our Savior. The Spirit of God not only comes, but He stays on Christ to equip the Son for the service, for His service as our mediator. Even as Isaiah said, the Spirit of God will rest upon him, upon the divine Messiah destined to reign forever. This is kingdom talk. With the king comes the power of the kingdom, which is the Spirit. And that Spirit rests and stays on Jesus Christ. You ever thought about why? Why does the person of Christ need, and I'm going to say need, the Spirit? The Spirit comes to confirm and encourage the Lord Jesus Christ before He enters upon the most difficult work to save us. The Lord Jesus Christ, you need to understand this, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't simply appear to be a human being. He was one person. He was two natures. Those natures are are not to be confused. Those, Those natures didn't change one from another or into another. And He wasn't divided. But Jesus Christ is equipped with the Holy Spirit Because all that He does to save us, He does as the man Christ Jesus. You get that? His holy purity. His unswerving obedience. The exercise of all His faculties. All His miraculous powers. All His words. All His work. They were all due to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because when the kingdom comes, the King comes. And with the King comes the power of the King, which is the Holy Spirit. After, after the, Justin talked about this last week, after the resurrection of Christ, Paul refers to this same spirit as the spirit of Christ. The power of the kingdom that comes with the king is the Holy Spirit. And if you are in Jesus Christ this morning, you have the same spirit that Christ had that enabled him to do everything that he was supposed to do in order to save us. Do you know what that means? That means in the kingdom of grace, empowered by the power of the Spirit, it means we're called to obedience. And there's no more excuses. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us by faith 
so that we can do everything that God calls us to do. And, and I do have, I have to share with you, because I am a pastor, and, and I don't mean to, to be a downer here, but I talk to way too many people that say, I can't do that. I can't love my wife anymore. I can't even make it to Sunday school. No, I can hit church twice out of four. And I ask them, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. That means you have the Spirit. Oh, yeah, I have the Spirit. That means if God wants you to do it, you'll do it. In fact, there, there is no more, there is no more, mm, God hadn't gifted me with that. It really is, does God want you to do it? And if he wants you to do it, he's given you the spirit and you can do it. That does mean that, that young people, you don't have to have sex before marriage. If you love Jesus, you don't have to. Oh, it's so hard in this world. Yeah. It does mean that, yeah, we can, we can enjoy Christians, we can enjoy alcohol, but it does mean that we're not called to get drunk. It's not Okay. The Spirit of God rested upon Jesus and that Spirit enabled Jesus to do everything that God wanted him to do, God the Father wanted him to do and he didn't go back and say, oh, I'm God, I did this. He did this as a man. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful because everything that God calls us to do, we are able to do it and and we don't do it ourselves but we rest in Christ empowered by the Spirit and we say, yes, Jesus, I'll just do what you want me to do. And I know what's going to happen. You're going to go back at lunch and you're going to say, oh, that Todd, he, he doesn't really understand grace, right? God's grace enables you to do whatever God wants you to do. You just need to do it. Lastly, what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I like this transla- translation best. This is my Son. This is my beloved in whom I take delight. So Jesus is baptized, he's empowered with the Holy Spirit, and God the Father says, my child, my beloved, I delight in you. From heaven, God the Father pours forth his grace through the Son's baptism. And realize this voice that we hear now, it's different compared with God's voice in the Old Testament. On Mount Sinai, when, when the people heard God's voice, it was so terrible that the earth quaked, that the hills, hills trembled, that people feared for their lives. And it wasn't that God's grace wasn't there in the Old Testament. It's simply that the people in the Old Testament didn't have a category for God coming near like they do now in the person of Christ. Do you understand that? In the person of Christ, we have all grace and truth coming, and now we see in, in, in a real way the, the, the love of the Father. We have a category of God's grace seen in the man, Jesus Christ. And the Father speaks from heaven, full of grace and truth, filled with all love and tenderness, and He, he pours forth this, this beautiful statement that, that comes with peace and joy and comfort and consolation. Here's the beginning of a new manifestation of God's kingdom given to us in Christ Jesus, the one who is baptized, and God says, my beloved, in him I am pleased. God the Father says, do you want to know who this Jesus is? God the Father says, I delight with him in deepest pleasure. You need not fear him. He stands here stripped just like any other man, a friend to sinners like you and me.
Why is God so pleased with his son? It's not simply because he's the second person of the Trinity. He's so pleased with his son, not only because of who he is, but but what he's doing here. He's pleased with the son because the son comes to save his people, you and me. He loves the Son, not just because He loves the Son, but He loves the Son because of what the Son is doing and the Son is coming for us. By implication, when God the Father looks down on the Son at this moment, He knows that He's coming to save His people. And not only does the Heavenly Father say, this is my Son, this is my Beloved in whom I take delight, He says that about people like you and me. He says, this is my child. This is my beloved. I delight in you. This is the public inauguration of Jesus' work on our behalf. And the kingdom is only as real as the God who brings it. And we know it's real in this passage because God Himself takes on flesh. Because God Himself is baptized for us pointing to the truth of the matter that He is going to die for us. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean for us? These these three things that it means is directly tied to the three points. If God is going to rule in His kingdom here on earth, then the King must come. And if the king comes, you do realize that judgment has to take place. I know we don't like the idea of judgment in our world today, but understand this. If the king is going to make things right, wrong has to be removed. And that's judgment. You can't get away from it, right? If something's going to be made right, we're going to have to make a judgment about what's wrong so that we can experience the rightness. So if the king is going to come... On this earth, a judgment has to take place. But here's the beauty of this. God comes as Christ to bring in the kingdom and He judges sin and death through His Son on the cross. It's foreshadowed here in the baptism of Christ. And what that means is if you believe in the Christ who dies for you on the cross, He's taken your judgment and we are forgiven. We are forgiven our sins. We are acceptable in God's sight. This kingdom that's a kingdom of grace that's brought about by the King who is God become flesh is brought about a kingdom of forgiveness. If you live in the kingdom, you are forgiven. If God is to rule secondly here on this earth, his subjects are called to live in a pleasing way to the king. So what does God do to make sure that his subjects can live in a pleasing way on, in this kingdom here on earth? That's God's kingdom here on earth. He sends the Spirit. And that is that, that Spirit of Christ, which is a Spirit of grace, empowers us to do all that we are called to do so that we can live in the kingdom in a faithful way. Kingdom life is not only a forgiven life, but it's a life of obedience. And no, it doesn't mean that we're going to do it right all the time. But it does mean that we don't have any excuses and we can do it right. Lastly, 
God's rule and reign here on earth. It's a kingdom of grace. What's more gracious than the Father's words that we read here, His declaration, this is my Son, this is my Beloved in whom I take delight. What does God do except to extend those same words to us for those who are found in Christ Jesus? If you have a king, and that king is Jesus, then God the Father says, you are my child, you are my beloved, and I delight in you. Who here does not want to experience a freedom that comes from knowing that we are forgiven? I don't know about you, but it gives, great, gives me great freedom to know that I am forgiven my sin and that I don't have to be, pretend to be something that I'm not. Who here does not want to experience a life lived that is pleasing to our Creator? If you have a king who loves you like this, you want to follow, you want to obey, you want to love him with all your heart. Who here does not want to experience life knowing that he or she is not only fully loved, but loved being fully known. God knows you perfectly and He loves you perfectly in Christ Jesus. All of this is, is the kingdom and it comes from Christ alone. And I'm going to share with you one quick story, a personal story. Some of, you, some of you know this. I can share this personal story with you because I know many of you out there this morning have dealt with much worse. But the last three weeks in, in my family have been terribly difficult. There were 13 days where I, I wondered if the sun would ever come up. Do you know what got me through those 13 days? I had the, the opportunity in, in, in certain times to, to think about what it is I was going to preach on. And in those days of darkness, in those days of of sadness in those days of, of questioning God's goodness. You know what I thought about? It was darker for Jesus. It was harder for Jesus. He knows exactly what I'm feeling, even more than what I'm feeling. And He did all this and He didn't have to. I have a God like that. So do you. Not only that, I remembered in those I remembered that in those days when I didn't think that I was going to make it, I thought about the spirit that empowered Jesus to go to the cross and if God gives me the same spirit, I can get through 20 days here on earth. And then even when I messed up and I yelled at the doctors or got short with my wife, you know what I remember? My Heavenly Father looked down on me and He said, you are my child. You are my beloved. And I delight in you. That's the kingdom of God that we get to experience here on this earth. And yes, it's not perfect. But it's more than we deserve. And it's more than enough. And we can do this. We can live in the kingdom. We can live faithfully. We can remember that no matter what comes our way, our Heavenly Father says, I love you. That's why we're here today. That's the God we worship. And that's the kingdom we live in. Let's pray.
precious, holy, heavenly Father, we thank you now for your Son. We thank you that you are a God who loves us so much that you, that you take on weakness, even become sin for us. So that we can, even in our doubting days, we can know that you love us. We thank you for your Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that empowers kingdom life, the Spirit that enables us to say no to sin and yes to godliness. Most of all, Father, we thank you that um, we can rest in your declaration, not only to your Son, but to us when you tell us that we're your beloved, we're your child. And you delight in us. We give you praise this morning for just simply who you are and what you've done. Father, if there be anybody here that doesn't know you as that kind of God, I pray that you would work right now. I pray for those of us who do know that you'd strengthen us in these things. And that we would bring you glory. For it's in your son's name we ask. And for his glory. Amen.